0: You have to sell somebody something in such a short period of time. How can you communicate a universe of small changes, meaningful changes in a fucking 30 second TikTok?
1: Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. A podcast about. Stilling the tea on the nonprofit and charity sector. What's the difference between those two? It's a good question. I think not a lot.
0: All right. We're just trialing these intro bits, people. So, you know, let us know what you think. (laughs) I thought that one was seven.
1: (laughs) I was going to give it maybe a, yeah, a seven's probably a. Generous. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe more of a six.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to hurt your feelings at the start of the episode.
1: We need to like, yeah, feel motivated to get into the episode. Okay,
0: Do you don't feel motivated to get in the episode. No,
1: I do. I do. That's okay. what I'm saying. <laughs> okay.
0: The reason we sound like this is because it's early, people.
1: It's early, and we are recording from the New Forest. We are, which Tell is the really cool. Is. So the New Forest. It's it's a protected forest in the southwest of England, and there's lots of wild ponies that traverse the forest. And we've seen a few, like, little groups rocking around, running together, chilling. Some chunky Shetlands. Yeah, some little Shetlands. Some deer running around past the van. It's all very wildlife, isn't it? It's very wild. It's nice, though. You were concerned about a
0: stampede.
1: Yeah, because we were walking back to the van And there was like lots of horses and deer Right near where we needed to go in So I was a bit worried we might surprise them (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) And of course a stampede Oh look, there is an actual beautiful deer Just right behind you We'll take a picture for our listeners But it's sort of orange with little white dots on it It's like one of those ones you see from fairy tale Bambi, (laughs) Disney-esque looking deers Oh, there's two Where is the second one? Um, you can just see its antlers um, poking out at the bottom there. Oh, three. must be a herd. <laughs> <laughs> Very pretty. They've got those black little tails with white stripes around the outside. I mean, we wouldn't get this if we were in a studio, right?
0: No. So you're welcome, listeners. Okay. You wouldn't get this good content. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Very distracting.
1: I know. <laughs> Shall we just pause a second and watch
0: this? We're gonna pause so we can watch this. It's heard.
1: We're coming back to you. Let's stop here. Okay. Nope. Oh. <laughs> like i just want to get to my car look guys <laughs> help me out here
0: <laughs> what's this guy got around his car that's so delicious yeah i know oh, oh
1: they're rutting that seems a little oh he's got something and he's chatting to them and they're all wandering with him look he's like the
0: <laughs> the deer oh. oh he's got little snacks
1: oh he's feeding oh oh i do know he said wise. What do they even eat that he's got? I don't know how I feel about that. What do they actually eat and what has he got? The bird seed.
0: Obviously, they're keen on it because they've been gathering around his vehicle.
1: Oh, so maybe he actually kind of lives here and feeds them every morning. That's why they were gathered around his car. I don't
0: I think mean, we don't want to domesticate them, do we?
1: No. God, no, because then they'll just go up to all sorts of humans. Not all humans are kind.
0: But what's the average person going to do? Yeah. Slap it in the mouth? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but... They might also be like They'll less risk averse into- when it comes to cars because.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're going to turn into foxes and be in the bins. Right. So-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a deer in my bin, <laughs> upside down in my bin. <laughs> I don't know whether maybe these people with the flags like I here more permanently. I mean, when you stake a flag at somewhere where you're staying with your van, that feels a bit like. Colonial. Yeah, that. I really want to touch their antlers. They look a bit furry. I think they definitely are furry.
0: (laughs) They like what he's selling.
1: Yeah, they really do.
0: The jelly beans.
1: Oh my God, imagine. And then they're about to go absolutely wild, high on sugar, leaping around. Well, that'd be fun. The Shetland hasn't caught on yet. (laughs) Do
0: Shetlands and deer eat the same things?
1: I don't know, actually. What well, did deer eat again, like berries and stuff? I don't know. <laughs> this is the kind of things I felt like I knew 10 years ago. But now, don't. You should have been paying attention in
0: high school zoology or wherever oh. a person learns this.
1: Oh, 100% is the thing, kind of thing my dad would say. But, you know, whether it stays in or not. Call him.
0: <laughs> call him on the podcast. <laughs> Do it. Hey. It'd be funny. Just call him and ask what deer eat. <laughs> Do
1: it. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be awake. It's really early. Let's try. I feel bad if I wake them up, though. Hello? Hi, Dad. Looks like you've got some nice deer around you. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. There's, like, lots of the wild ponies, the deer, the shetlands. Yeah. It's all very, you know, wilderness. That looked like a uh, roe ro- deer stag you got there. Oh, is it? I like fruit. Fruit and berries. Chopped oh. up fruit, that kind of thing. They're all on grass. They're grazers. So I think if you're going to try and if you're going to put something out, uh, get some chopped up fruit or something. Alright, yeah, no, because the guy next to us was like throwing seed around, so we just wondered. And do um, yeah. does Shetland ponies eat the same? Because they were also keen.
0: They'll eat nuts as well, pony nuts. Mind you, they don't like feeding them, do they? Really? So yeah. You have to
1: be a bit yeah, that's what we thought. They're
0: looking out the wildlife. Who doesn't say not? Leave them be, you know, so they don't get too tame. Speak to caravan man next door, see what he says.
1: Yeah, we'll do. All right, cool. All right. Yeah, it's lovely. It's uh, good, good for podcasting too. Are you
0: podcasting today?
1: Yeah, we are. Yeah, the usual. Good. Got some great episodes for you to listen to shortly.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks so much. Yeah. All right.
1: Catch you later. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. Okay. Great. Start again.
0: The whole thing. We haven't even said anything.
1: What we start again? The introduction. Okay. Oh, we're not gonna cut some of that in. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. Welcome. Welcome. What are we talking about today? So we're talking about sometimes some of the things we do in the nonprofit sector or some of the ways that we work are to stop worse things from happening. And if we're working in a particular conflict context, sometimes you might be stopping worse things from happening than making a really big impact or striving for really big change.
0: I'd come at it from a slightly different perspective in this obsession with positive impact. We see in every evaluation, every learning review, like tell us about the positive impact that we've had. And it's only a few organizations that actually look and ask about the negative impact or just holding ground. Like it's completely reasonable for you to stop something worse from happening but nobody actually wants to hear that story you want to hear about big transformative change which is fine and that's the exciting bit the real bit is when it could have been a lot worse mm. without us here but that's just not a sexy story so we're going around trying to tell that sexy
1: story <laughs> yeah it's not a sexy story at all But I also wonder if you're saying it could have been worse without us. There has to be a real degree of proving (laughs) that your presence was necessary.
0: But is that not what we're doing when people are looking for positive impact? They're still looking for their role in whatever's happened. So it's the same thing. It's just you're okay not looking for that big thing. You're just looking for those small incremental things that maybe stopped things from backsliding.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, And you've kind of touched on something there in terms of the size of the change that you might be looking for. You know, a lot of contexts I've worked in, the smaller level changes aren't necessarily given the same level of importance or significance. And I think that's sometimes a bit of a failure because those smaller changes actually might be an indicator of a bigger change to come at some point. And without maybe that really small change or let's say a set of three or four small changes, then that wouldn't be able to lead to something much bigger like a, a new law or a policy. A change, right. for example. So I think also there's something here about how much significance we place on the change and at what level, if it's a small change within a community or for an individual versus at a national level or a yeah. regional level. Yeah. So I think that also plays a factor in how we see things being transformative or not being worse, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It's really hard because we've all now gone down this road where we need to see something big. We were having a conversation yesterday and somebody was like, well, that's not a good comms piece to say
1: that
0: it could have been worse it's not a great comms piece and people don't want that but is it because we've just been selling this thing that we actually don't have any right to be selling you're always talking about like contribution and attribution do you want to explain the difference to people
1: contribution is as it very much says you're looking at what your contribution is to a bigger picture or a bigger change you want to know did you influence or did you have some part in a big change you're assuming that it wasn't just you that influenced a big positive change and attribution is more like you're looking for I guess a more direct cause and effect did what I do affect you can prove more concretely that what I did had a direct effect on something would be my stab at those (laughs) (laughs) I think over some years the sector has come to realize that contribution is easier to measure is more plausible in the context that we work in and that actually attribution is a bit like chasing a a golden pot at the end of the rainbow because it's quite hard to do within the timeframes, capacity, resources and places that we work in.
0: I disagree with you in part. I think, yes, we've all come to realise that contribution is easier, but what we're telling people is about attribution. I alone have done this thing. So when we're clumsing things out to people, to stakeholders, to donors. We're selling these big ticket things that actually we contributed to them. When I look at some of the reports that we consume as part of the evaluations that we're doing, I'm like, yeah, this sounds really nice. But actually, this is all operating in a bigger context. So how you've come about what it is that you've determined is your contribution or you are attributing your actions to a particular change, I think that those get a A little bit muddy And a little bit messy
1: Yeah I mean I think I think what you're getting at Is the difference between Monitoring and evaluation And comms And how what's done Gets translated It makes me nervous When you look over my shoulder Like that I don't like it Yeah I just saw The man kind of fall backwards Behind that car He just fell backwards Oh should we go and check I think we should Okay let's go check Let's just check
0: Okay well (laughs) Lauren you've saved a life
1: (laughs) I did it between deer and old people falling over. <laughs> I can't get a grip on this episode. Okay. <laughs> so so I think what you're getting at is the difference between monitoring and evaluation and comms and how the same information is processed differently, right? So I will disagree and remain steadfast in that monitoring and evaluation and the tools that we use and that have really evolved into contribution. Yeah, And with things like... I don't want to get too technical, but there are tools that the nonprofit and charity sector use that now allow them to look at alternative theories to why things <sighs> happen <laughs> <laughs> and look at. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> And other actors and factors that may have contributed to it. Sure. So I will say that there is now a, a huge movement in the monitoring and evaluation sector or piece to capture that change. But how that is translated into comms and fundraising, I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. Because if you have some information that says, you know, your organisation contributed to some extent to this change and five <laughs> other organisations also influenced that. Yeah. I mean, God, how, how do you put that out there into a space that... To so, encourage someone want to fund you.
0: Yeah, this is the dilemma or not dilemma really, but this is the tension we had with one of our evaluations where we looked at internal and external context to work out what in and amongst a bunch of other things may have happened. And what we found is it is a combination of internal things that the organization did and external things. And the way that they did the comms around that was in part how we structured that report and, and what we said, which was in and amongst a bunch of other things, here are the really important things that you did, but you can't get away from the fact that there are other things that also operate in a person's environment unless you are sticking a person in a room by themselves and you're the only person interacting with them. I think it's just a reality-based approach that you're going to interact with society, with politics, with security, the environment. I'm very happy for that distinction of monitoring and evaluation and communication and i think maybe that's the point is the comms part of it is making it too hard for organizations to really sell those incremental steps as meaningful steps because they're too focused on what's sexy, impactful mm. and they're basically just fucking everybody because now everyone's like looking for that big dynamic change mm. when actually what you want to see is a massive investment in these small things that maybe get incremental shifts in social norms for example, depending yeah. on what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah, that's another complexity. If your goal or what you're working towards is changing social norms, how do you explain social norms in a snappy way? sexy comms way. Do things have to be snappy and sexy and comsy? Because
0: this is the problem is we're playing to the consumer of information. And I know that that's what we have to do. But as our attention span gets shorter and shorter, which we there's empirical evidence now to say people can't hold on to shit for very long now. So that's why commercials are so short. You have to sell somebody something in such a short period of time. How can you communicate a universe of small changes meaningful changes in a fucking 30 second TikTok. I don't understand. I think communications is really fucking
1: with us. Yeah, it's really hard. If people only have 30 seconds, it's got to be grabbing and also meaningful and also Respectful of where that information came from. You know, that the information that is often found in comms comes back from rights holders or communities. And how do you also ethically create a meaningful space for that voice or that reality to be expressed if you only have a 30 second TikTok video?
0: Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it, and the more I think actually it's the comms piece that's bothering me about this.
1: (laughs) Um, Do we know if nonprofits have? TikTok accounts, I'd be very curious to look and see what people's strategies are and if they're using them to their advantage.
0: I imagine that some will. But for example, Twitter is not dissimilar in that Mm. compressing of complicated things into X amount of words, although you can create threads. But I think it's just becoming more and more problematic that we're trying to condense complicated social dynamics into these little bite-sized pieces where the complexity is where that work happens mm. and why the work that we do is important or some of the work that we do is important.
1: But but you know what, what they would say, right? If they don't do that and people don't get on board with it and fund us, then you won't be able to continue doing your complex work.
0: (laughs) But I think they need to retract slowly so Mm -hmm. that they're talking about things in more complex ways. I've seen you on TikTok. Have you? (laughs) Yeah. I've watched you scroll through TikTok. It's... Mm -hmm. Horrifying. (laughs) It's so fast. So I know that what they're trying to do is balance grabbing people in a moment, but it's almost finding more interesting, strategic ways to tell complicated stories. I don't really know anybody in comms, to be fair, so maybe I'm being a bit hard on them. But I just feel like the more and more we have to keep pushing these messages for the consumer or the donors Whether that's institutional donor, individual giving, whatever that is, the harder it is for us to really sell that story of contribution and that we're just a drop in the ocean and that's okay. Mm. Whereas I feel like what people want to hear is we just turned a whole thing upside down and look, there's new legislation because of us. When actually there's a whole bunch of other reasons why things happened and a whole history of grassroots work or whatever that took place before that moment. Yeah, that I think sometimes that gets lost too.
1: No, oh, 100%. And I think this is why I'm really glad that there is methodologies and stuff that look at alternative theories. And it really spoke to the investigative nature of looking for how change happens right. because it's not as you say there is often histories that have gone before you've arrived and yeah. foundations laid and you know you may not be aware of those. So, you know, you've got to have a really strong stance to say this wouldn't have happened without us. You've got to look at everything else that could have happened. Yeah. Anyway, the comms thing is really hard. How you put that in a short message without losing something. In it, and maybe it's just one of those trade offs. But I do think there is some creativity to. The way people are addressing comms, think of one, but <laughs> you know what? I, I can actually, I don't, this is like really talking to an organization that I used to work for. <laughs> I used to work for the Halo Trust and they looked at a campaign and I don't think it actually happened where they would put like a layer over Google Maps and there'd be like mines on the route that mm. you would take home. Obviously they weren't real, there was no mine there. You could see, oh, I can't go that route because there's a mine. Okay, maybe I need to take another route. Yeah. So it was kind of putting yourself in the context of what is it like to have to live in a space where minds are on your way to school or on your way to work or right. whatever. And I thought that was really clever. Yeah. I don't think it happened, but it was a very, very clever way of putting it in your reality. Yeah. Somebody else's. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily having to explain how change happened, but more kind of, I suppose, an experience based yeah. But it was a comms campaign. Okay. I'd
0: be interested to know why they may not have gone with it.
1: Maybe they did. It could have been after I left. I don't know. But I didn't <laughs> then discover it. My Google Maps wasn't full of mice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think the problem with that, the one that you're giving is the problem with that type of work in general is that it's very sexy and tangible. So True. I can dig this thing out of the ground. You're welcome. As opposed to really addressing like structural inequality <laughs> and... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I
1: can agree more. It's just,
0: it's very practical. You, yeah, make as many fucking TikToks of that. I don't care. That seems reasonable. I
1: mean, maybe but. the same could be said for, I mean, toilets are not so sexy, but there's still mm. something tangible that's delivered. You yeah. know, we built a toilet or whatever else.
0: Yeah. So I feel like when you're putting a thing there, mm. it's easy, but all of the stuff and the behavior change around use of that thing, for example, mm. is like the harder bits. So sure, we put put a toilet in and we put a hand washing station in. But now you have to think about the behavior change around that so that people still may practice open defecation yeah. or may not be washing their hands, but you still have to, you can point to this thing. We built a thing. Here is a thing. Mm. The other side of that is use and uptake and maintenance and Absolutely. scalability, all of that stuff. I feel like the things that actually need to happen are not The tangible things,
1: if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I agree. Maybe we need to talk to a person. (laughs) How How do you tackle (laughs) behavior change (laughs) outcomes or attitude outcomes? Yeah. Or do you just not put those out there?
0: Well, it's not even like how they tackle that stuff because comms people would say, look at all of these people and now they're doing something different because of us. But I think the thing I'm more interested in is how do they talk about little tiny changes, which actually are the stepping stones to real big changes that aren't sexy? How are you talking about the stuff that's not sexy to hear about? Mm. We gathered a bunch of people together from different ethnic minorities who wouldn't ordinarily have gotten together. Mm. And that's all we did. But that is a stepping stone toward bigger changes Mm. around like social cohesion and trust building and yada, yada, yada. But just getting a bunch of people in a room together may not seem that sexy to people.
1: I mean, there is some... Or have I just sold
0: it as sexy? Maybe I should be in comms.
1: I mean, maybe there there is some stuff there on connecting different people, creating a network, a movement, yada, yada. So those things I think could be channeled into something sexy. A lot of organizations that we've worked with are starting to use the word enabler. Mm. Um, And I'm curious about what's the outcome or the change of being an enabler and how do you talk about that in the public comms space? What have you enabled? I suppose. And how do you prove that it was you that enabled it?
0: There are a few of them are talking about it in different ways so that their work enables something else, Mm -hmm. but also they need certain behaviors in work to enable them to do something. I like it because it recognizes the fact that you need something to unlock something else. I feel like it kind of looks at dependencies the other way around. I don't mind the word enabler to be honest. I'm on the fence. I can tell.
1: (laughs) I think I want to see a little bit more of how that manifests in terms of narrative around what it means or what people do or what the outcome of it is. Well, I Um, guess the
0: point is that you're not saying that you're the sole one. mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's that recognition that you are part of a thing that you enable others maybe, or that you enable other work to take place by your actions and that you're not the only one that does it. And
1: maybe, I quite like it. Yeah, so maybe there is kind of an acknowledgement of an invisible role, a more invisible role, which I think is a good shout. We enable from 20 lines back. Yeah. Everything doesn't need to be in the front.
0: I wonder if that's a step toward decolonizing, being more in the back. Because when when we've done work around helping organizations understand how to decolonize themselves, that's often what we've said is start from the back.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, let's see. Some of the things
0: that we've recommended is knowing when to use your your brand to draw people in, but then also step back. So that kind of yeah. expanding contracting role. And I wonder if that's the enabler part of it, of them saying, okay, we're going to use our brand to be this thing that just sucks people in and brings people together. But that's the way that we enable other work to happen is by then stepping back.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. There's also the power sensitive piece behind that, because I think also in the organizations we've talked to, lots of people have acknowledged that the brand still has power and there's positive power in that, not just just negative power. right? And so by expanding and contracting, they're kind of leaning into a little bit of using that positive power, but not to the point that it takes on everything and yep. stepping back. Then here's an acknowledgement that our power can do harm and it's not centralizing themselves. I like that little journey we went on. Yeah. I mean... It could have been worse. Feels like we went from what I was expecting to be outcome driven to the comms beast to decolonization, the usual suspects, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Well, let's go back to impact and outcomes.
1: Well, I mean, let's go back to yeah, it could have been worse. I mean, we kind of covered the general (laughs) points. Did you want to talk about impact more? I suppose when we're thinking about it, it, could have been worse. We're also coming from a place of acknowledging that there are negative, hidden, unintended consequences and outcomes within that space. For an organization, I think to have a mature monitoring and evaluation system or a system that allows you to capture change is not just, <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> <up>. <laughs> not just positive change, but how do you have a system that allows you to capture negative change? or unintended consequences that enable you to say it could have been worse. Right. I think it has been as far as I know, and I'm a little bit outside of monitoring and evaluation space right now. But
0: don't say that because that is what, in fact, people are paying us. Oh, I, yeah, I suppose I meant more like
1: <laughs> the monitoring piece. How do you capture those things? You know, especially negative outcomes or negative change. People are less willing to say, oh, yeah, this really bad thing happened because of that organization. Because there's also lots of power at play who's interviewing you what's the ramifications of you saying there's something negative fear of backlash that kind of thing it takes an investigative and system so bigger thinking approach to say what could have happened because of what we did and what's the knock-on effect it was a really good example we came across the other day on consequence i think it was an example that you gave <laughs> when we were sitting There's and seen a lot of good bre- things. when we were sitting and having breakfast oh. and i was like oh that's an unintended
0: consequence. oh with the gas prices yeah
1: yeah could you just that's a really good example yeah
0: so one of the things that's contributing to rising gas prices is the war in ukraine and so people are having a hard time filling up their gas tanks or taking a little bit longer to fill up the gas tank. So they're riding on fumes for longer, which has seen a pretty significant spike in roadside assistance calls because people are just breaking down because they're running out of gas.
1: And I think that's a really good example of an indirect unintended consequence or one that people just wouldn't expect. And so I think the one thing that you know, when it comes to it, it, could have been worse or looking at change in the nonprofit sector. It's, you know, so this thing happened. What are all the possible things that could come from that or could have changed from that? And then where does our role fit into that? So I think that's just a really good example.
0: I suppose one of the things that you're trying to overcome, though, which is a conversation you and I have been having, is around, just as you've said there, a willingness to admit that something bad happened because of their intervention. So one of the questions that we've got in an evaluation that we're conducting is to what extent has this program minimized negative outcomes. And the first thing that we both did was ask ourselves whether or not they'd even admit that there were negative outcomes, let alone how they might've minimized it because of power, because of reputation, all of those things that play into admitting that something bad happened because of you or that happened and you interacted with that. I see you writing some notes.
1: Yeah. I'm always just trying to remember what you, you know, so I can respond. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, so no it's distracting. You made me think then that, and we did an episode on the theory of change. Right. I don't episode. Go and listen to it. Yeah. (laughs) Hacking the
0: theory of change, people.
1: Which is a tool that the sector or non-profit sector often uses to look at change. And I think I mentioned this then, but that inherently or is often positive. What's the change that we want to see? What's the impact we want to get to? But on the flip side of that, what you can do is do a negative theory of change. If we do this, what's the bad thing that could happen? What could that lead to? And so you're following a chain of events. You know, Mm. so we run a women's empowerment training. Okay, so what bad things could happen from that? Well, maybe some people in the community wouldn't understand or take to it or they fear it or whatever. Okay, so what could happen from that? Well, they could isolate the people that were in that training, blah, 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 that kind of scenario planning. And I think to some extent it feeds into looking at risks and assumptions. Absolutely. So it's like whether you bring those together in a more kind of pathway, a bit like a theory of change, I think is a really good thing to do. Maybe we should propose that to the client. Okay. We'll create your negative theory of change and test it (laughs) to see if you did actually do those things and how you avoided them or not.
0: I mean, it's something that I've done when we were working together, not as consultants, but in the other life we used to live. As part of a project or program management approach, kicking things off. What is a.
1: Sorry, the Shetland pony just is really close. (laughs) (laughs) It found the food for the deer. It
0: really did look at it. It's
1: so chunky. Sorry, I know Tia wanted a picture of the Shetland pony, so I had to flag it. I'm glad you stopped what was happening.
0: It's Shetland. It's so cute and chunky.
1: We'll uh, put pictures on Facebook or Instagram. I wanted to come over here.
0: Uh, you're right. Fail fasts. So thinking about before you're undertaking a project or a program, or you're starting to develop it, design what your interventions activities are going to be, you do a fail fest. So all the reasons why it might fail or something might go wrong. And I like to use that one because people just love to fucking complain about stuff. So I use that as a starting place of like, okay, so we want to do this program on whatever. Tell me all the ways that it could fall apart.
1: That sounds great.
0: And that will typically feed into my risk management, my risk framework. It sounds like it could be the same. Except it's not looking at the relationships between things As you would in a theory of change But rather the orbit around it
1: Mm. I mean it could be a good merger Collab Yeah Sort of pulling on what you're finding and saying in that And then putting it into an understanding of flow Of how things might influence each other Yeah Okay Great Well um, for anyone who uh, wants to pay for these (laughs) We're uh, creating a template and putting it on our Patreon (laughs) Yeah there
0: you go (laughs) Nice plug
1: <laughs> i'm really distracted by this shetland i mean it's very cute i don't know where it's gone now is it behind the hedge yeah it's behind the hedge. okay I think through all of this, it comes back to just there being a more acceptance and frequency of talking about that, you know, things being worse or the failures and everything yeah. just being more normalized, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Normalizing incrementalism.
1: Well, that's a
0: t-shirt. <laughs> Indeed. i are going to make that for you. <laughs>
1: good one i would wear that t-shirt i like don't you know this movement it's called the normalizing incrementalism movement okay well um, merch
0: drop merch drop get ready people
1: but also maybe now as an opportunity for the sector to put out there you know that we're holding ground or whatever because i think with covid with the ukraine with prices the economy or whatever like the it, environment the environment climate change everything gender equality backslide well, yeah, right. So, so as all these things kind of, I feel like the public is also placing themselves in a really complex context right yeah. now. Like it feels like there's lots of complexity, like into weaving and making things difficult. So, I feel like there may be a closer link or a closer what's the word reality than maybe yeah. in the past. Okay, but I don't know. Call my dad and ask him.
0: <laughs> okay, this is our public service announcement, I suppose, just saying listen, sometimes we're just not fucking stuff up more.
1: Mm. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. But I think there's a couple of things there, right? There's even a couple of ways you could describe that. Okay. So like you've got holding ground or so, you know, you've got it where like that's a transformative change is going right up and you're creating a really like. Lauren's drawing a picture. An an increase. You can't see. Sorry. And it describes, you know, if you've got a graph. Mm. And your positive change is kind of a line going from the bottom left-hand corner all the way straight up, like diagonally. And then the other one could be, you know, if you're holding ground, it's just kind of straight across the bottom. Mm. But it might be also that the trend in that country or whatever was was going down anyway. Yeah. And the, I don't know, status quo was going here and you're stopping it here or you're stopping it from getting to that point. Like, yeah. I, I feel like there are another layers below that. Yeah. 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 I yeah. yeah. so just... To add that. No, I think that was good. We should take Um, a picture of that and put it on Instagram. Okay. (laughs) It's a bit of a weird graph. It's also surrounded by my other weird notes. (laughs) I'm writing on a, a weird kind of calendar. So I'm actually writing in August 15th, 2022 right now um, (laughs) that my sister bought me for my birthday and I just really enjoy writing all over it.
0: I mean, this is, is this an unintended consequence? Because it's actually not, now you don't know what the days are. It's just a gigantic notepad.
1: Yeah, basically. I don't think this is how it's intended to be used, but I am using
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. This is the not-for-profit sector in a nutshell. You were given something, it had one purpose. And you're using it, just not for its intended purpose or designed purpose. <laughs> right. Yeah. Excellent. We define what utility means. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good one. It's not as good as a t-shirt. It's not. That's not good enough for a t-shirt, I don't think. I think normalizing incrementalism is a... I think that's a great one. I, maybe we should start a private Facebook group on that, a closed group, and then people can join it. Maybe we can see if we can get some, like, Debbie people, some FCDO folks and...
1: What's fcdo
0: thank you very much foreign commonwealth and development office so the uk government's
1: money arm that sounds
0: great okay excellent you can't ride them
1: the shetland ponies no oh. <laughs> i mean maybe if you're like three foot
0: just, oh, I thought I thought that lady had some, but it's actually just dogs. <laughs> in summary?
1: I think there's still a big gap between how monitoring and evaluation data is translated into comms in a meaningful and ethical way. Okay. I think that's probably a gap that we maybe should explore a bit more. Okay. Um, and I think you raised some really valid points about, you know, the complexity of the world and what that looks like and how we maybe shouldn't be narrowing that down into a 30 second TikTok video. Yeah.
0: I've got such a hate on for TikTok. I don't know why.
1: Yeah. Noted. <laughs> I think we get the most views on TikTok <laughs> out of all for social media.
0: But what does that translate into? Don't know. That's why I don't understand. People become like TikTok celebrities.
1: Mm. How? Well, it translates into sponsors. How though? I don't know. Are they making a video with Panteen? Pantene?
0: Pantene. <laughs> Pantene. I said it how I meant it.
1: I thought it was Pantene.
0: It's Pantene in this country. It's Pantene in North America.
1: Okay, fine. Yeah, I guess. And yeah, sponsors, other advertising. I would like us to actually look at some charity sector TikToks. I'm very curious. Okay. I think it's weird that I don't get those advertised. Maybe not weird, but...
0: (laughs) Because your algorithms only care about very... Specific things.
1: So yeah, I'd like us to
0: check those out. Okay, cool. Um, Well, we'll do that and then we'll do some TikTok reviews. Yes.
1: Okay. Exactly. We'll figure out how they're doing it.
0: Okay. I mean, that you haven't seen any. Feels like that speaks volumes to
1: me. Yeah, maybe there isn't any out there.
0: Let's have a look before we confirm. But I can unequivocally say I'm probably going to hate it.
1: (laughs) Okay. There we are.
0: So right. Sometimes it's just about preventing things from getting worse. And that's hard enough. So I think that as a general population, we should be okay with having the message be, look, it could have been terrible. Here are the ways in which our work contributed to it not sliding into more terrible things. Mm -hmm. And that not everything needs to be sexy. All of the changes that you want to see in the world. Sometimes it's not a big, sexy thing. Sometimes it's a really small thing. That does make a huge difference, but we can't ever talk about those things if what everybody wants is to hear about those big sexy things. Yeah. So let's redefine sexy. (laughs)
1: Hey. <laughs> there you go. I'm pretty sure that's a question the sector is not asking itself. <laughs> I love it. Have you asked yourself how you're going to redefine sexy?
0: <laughs> we put that into an evaluation. Didn't no, we? did we? We did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember reading that. Yeah. We said there's too much emphasis on sexy things.
1: Oh, vaguely, yeah. But we
0: said it as a quote. Somebody else said it. Oh, so that's, that's right.
1: That's right. <laughs> as long as we didn't explicitly write sexy. <laughs> no.
0: But, you know, it's true. We didn't write it there. We're just saying it here.
1: Yeah. Fair okay. Redefine sexy. And I think, you know, expand your ability or explore ways to look at unintended negative outcomes or change, hidden, invisible, you know, how are you going to capture those things and dedicate more space to capturing and, and looking at those things? Because I think, you know, we're generally tilted to reporting against outputs and outcomes that are positive because theories of change and all sorts of tools are leaning that way, but create a you know a negative theory of change, do scenario planning. What's the name of your? Fail fast. Fail fast. Like it's. Ex- no fail fest fail fest sorry like a A festival festival. of failure yeah (laughs) right so
0: do a festival of failure fail fast (laughs) there is some thinking around yeah failing fast
1: right so, you know, just invest more time in these things, I think is also really important. A part of understanding how to, to demonstrate that things could have been worse.
0: Yeah. Thinking about this idea of doing those fail fests and stuff, it also shows that you've thought about what could happen before mm-hmm. it actually happens. Like, I mean, this is part of risk management, right? Before it actually kicks off, you think about what you might do in those situations. It just demonstrates the fact that you have thought about it. In the event that something happens, you're not kind of caught on the back foot.
1: Yeah. What was I going to say?
0: This is definitely another episode, but looking for the invisible?
1: I mean, that's hard all around, right, isn't it? <laughs> like, I think when we talked about power in our power episode go and listen to our episode on power part one part two coming soon
0: um, <laughs> don't commit us to that it was a really heavy episode so
1: <laughs> you know how do you look for invisible power to an invisible change all of it it requires somebody somewhere in the apparatus of what you're doing to to see it and that's not what invisible is
0: i feel like you're creating a philosophical conundrum for people because you're looking for something that by definition is unseen
1: right and if it becomes seen. It's not invisible anymore. Exactly. So.
0: Oh, I don't like it. What is this called? The Schrodinger's cat or something? Oh, I don't know. I <laughs> mean. We'll <laughs> we have to, I just have to look it up real fast.
1: Although I do think it's this kind of question of invisible to who, you know, maybe it's not invisible to communities or rights holders, but it's invisible to other power holders. Mm hmm. So I I think that's an important delineation. Okay,
0: Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger stated that if you place a cat and something that could kill the cat, a radioactive atom, in a box and sealed it, you would not know if the cat was dead or alive until you opened the box. So that until the box was opened, the cat was, in a sense, both dead and alive.
1: Oh. Wow, okay.
0: It's like a quantum. It's a paradox of quantum supposition.
1: Okay, so in a similar vein, what you're saying is to see the invisible is a bit like that paradox. Yes, I think so.
0: <laughs> but let's just ask somebody to make sure that that makes sense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anyone out there in quantum physics?
0: No, before we publish this episode.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a joyous episode. We've had deer? people falling over, dear. Shetlands, Shetlands. dogs, in addition to an interesting conversation.
0: I found it interesting. Yes, me (laughs) too. (laughs) Don't sound too convinced by that.
1: I found it so interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we got a good merch idea out of it.
1: Yeah. Which is good. Agreed. Okay, I'm going to make you some shirts.
0: Well, I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. And this has been The Journey to Transformation. Bye for now. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation.
0: Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast.
1: Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.